Talking about God's attributes, attributes of purpose. So this morning, oh yeah, and a note from Bob just to encourage people yet to sign up for uh, Tubac. It looks like um, uh, we're a little over 50 people now, of course. Yeah, with uh, the registrations just came in, but we're hoping it'll go higher than that. But that's always a wonderful time in September. Okay. Um, now, attributes of purpose, God's will. Here we are. Yeah, thank you for your prayers uh, for us for that trip. I mean, you just we just saw evidence of God praying for. Margaret's knee held up really well. It's amazing how much walking she could do around London and, um, and in Cambridge. And um, that, was, that was so good. We, and, you know, when... When everything just, you know, you, you get your tickets, you go to the place where the train platform is, you figure out what platform, and you say, oh, there's our trains leaving for Cambridge, and you walk up and you get on the train and they close the doors. You know, it's that kind of, and you see that kind of thing where you see God's hand just directing your timing uh, again and again and the people you meet and talk to. And, and uh, just, I think it's really important that, that, um, that, that we pray regarding those events of our lives, and I'm thankful for the prayers of, of all of you that remembered to, uh, to pray for that, and God's blessing, I think, in the talks, too. Okay, now, we come today to a topic that, that has a lot of potential for being a great blessing in our lives. Um, it has, it's also something that's, that's, in a way, puzzling to understand, and and I'll warn you in advance, we'll talk a little bit about how God's will works out in detail, but there are some things here that are hard to figure out, and probably that we will never figure out in this lifetime. But we're going to, we'll go and give it a try, and I think there's a potential for great blessing uh, in our lives if we can adopt an understanding of God's will according to what Scripture says. So we start out with God's will. God's will is that attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and of all creation. The existence of all creation, activity of all creation. So this is a, a massive uh, topic to talk about the will of God. First, we talk about God's will in general. Scripture frequently indicates God's will as the final or most ultimate reason <clears throat> for everything that happens. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And um, I, I put up these Greek or Hebrew words from time to time. I know I'm not expecting you to understand Greek or Hebrew, but some of you in the audience do, and so you keep tabs on me to be sure I'm being fair. And uh, it's kind of a, I see John over there smiling. Um, and so it's kind of a, um, and it's also a reminder to me to talk about something here, who works, uh, the one energuntas, this is uh, um, who empowers or works in, and it's a present participle, and a present participle gives the idea of continuing activity. So the one who is continually, always, all the time working, all things, tapanta, this phrase often refers to everything in the universe. Not always, but often. It refers to everything in the universe in, uh, in New Testament writings and especially in Paul's writings. He works all things, how? According to the counsel of his will. Um, that's a very expansive statement. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will continually. What does this all things include? Well, it includes creation, Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So uh, God's will involves the creation. Then uh, civil government. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Now we're over in England, and I look at the newspaper, or I look at online news, and I see that the candidate I was hoping to win won in the election for president of Mexico. And I smile. 
There was a, there was a, and he just he just won by a tiny percentage, but there was a left-leaning candidate that would have taken Mexico back towards socialism and toward friendship with Chavez in Venezuela, and would have been anti-American, and he lost by just, you know, he got about 49 point something percent, and the, and the more conservative candidate that's more friendly toward free markets and toward the United States, which I think is good for the people of Mexico, he barely won. And I smiled. I just said, hmm. And I was thankful. I was thankful to God. I put a little note in my prayer book. Thank you, Lord. Because God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Now, sometimes we see evil governments or bad governments, and God allows those, I think, in times to bring, to actually, uh, as a, as a, when people turn away from him, um, uh, as judgment. And uh, we hope that doesn't happen. We pray that doesn't happen. It's nothing that any of us could complain about because all nations have sinned and, and do not honor God, but we're thankful for his mercy when we see something good happening in terms of government. So there's government according to the counsel of his will. Surprisingly, uh, the crucifixion of Christ all the elements leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. Here we see the early church praying and saying, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So you've got um, uh, two uh, heads of government here, Herod and Pontius Pilate. And then the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, the two um, ethnic or, or national groups or ethnic groups, all those people against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't nullify the moral responsibility of those who did wrong in crucifying Jesus because elsewhere there in the book of Acts, uh, 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 Peter says, talks about Jesus, and he, and he points to the crowd, he says, Jesus, whom you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so there's responsibility on those who had done that, but they see God's sovereign hand yet behind it all, whatever your hand or plan had predestined to take place. Even the hardship and suffering of Christians are sometimes said to be according to God's will. And so 1 Peter 3, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then he says, for Christ also suffered uh, for sins. So it's based on Christ's sufferings and as an example of Christ, and then in imitation of Christ's sufferings, he allows us sometimes to go through suffering according to his will as well. And then 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So all things in God's will, all the small events of our lives are also included in God's will. James says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, um, going to such and such a city, investing in a business, starting a business, getting profit, uh, if the Lord wills. That is, God's will involves those detailed events of our lives. This doctrine of God's will, now, it's one of these things where it's sort of like a, it's um it's something that can be misused, but it's something that has great power uh, to deepen and strengthen our Christian lives as well. So this doctrine of God's will should bring great encouragement and comfort to us. Nothing can happen to us outside of the will of our infinitely wise, merciful, good God. That's what I think gives ground for Paul's being willing to say, we know that, all, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that gives peace uh, to us in our hearts when hard things happen. Thinking about God's will, then, should give us great peace concerning world conflicts. And we see, uh, you know, it, 
don't you feel a little uneasy when you see the bombing of Lebanon? And it uh, looks like this morning in the news uh, that there's more bombing in Beirut. And will this conflict between Israel and Hezbollah, uh, will this expand to Iraq and Syria? And will it draw in other Arab nations? And uh, what is the, going to happen with Israel? And what does that mean for us? I mean, there's, there's a tendency to be unsettled about those things. Yet uh, this doctrine of God's, w God's will governing over the affairs of the world, this should put our hearts at peace. It should give us great peace. Um, not that there won't be conflict, not that there won't be difficulty, not that there won't be hardship, and not that those are not real, uh, but they will not happen outside of the sovereign directing hand of a really good and wise and all-powerful God. Um, concerning troubling events in our lives. Um, we, Margaret and I got home Friday night, and then this morning we were looking at, sitting at the breakfast table looking at the paper, and I'd seen a, an old paper that uh, had come while we were away, and it had this map of this uh, baseline killer, and or two or three serial killers here in the Phoenix area. And, you know, they put the dots on the map, and they're right there next to our seminary building down on Thomas and, and 42nd. Um, now, how, uh, how do we deal with that? Well, um, one thing is uh, trust in God. Now, it doesn't mean be stupid and go wandering around at 3 in the morning on, you know, on, on an unprotected street or something like that. But it does mean when we're doing what God wants us to do and we're in his will, that's a safe place to be. Uh, to go ahead and persist in his will, in doing his will. met with Roy Christians over in Cambridge. He's a former teaching assistant of mine, and he's now directing Campus Crusade's work in Russia. And Russia spans 11 time zones. It's absolutely gigantic. And various areas are safer or more dangerous. And Roy has to make decisions about Campus Crusade staff members, when to leave them there in the midst of conflict and danger, and when to pull them out and put them to another area because it's just not safe for them at all. And those are heavy responsibilities. What do those staff members do? They, they go knowing that their lives are in danger, that that is not a safe place, uh, but they go. And so have missionaries done throughout the history of the world, trusting their lives into God's hands. Um, but being at peace um, because of God's will, God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so with troubling events in our own lives, uh, um, in relationship to others, in relationship to our families, in relationship to our health, etc., a, a sense of God's sovereign will should give us great peace. And I have been reading through the life of David. And uh, I'm in the middle of 2 Samuel, or just coming to the end of 2 Samuel now. And I have noticed over the last uh, two, three weeks how often David lives with this deep sense of God's will governing the events of his life. And I thought I would go through a number of those to kind of give an example of how this works out in daily life, just in case uh, you ever happen to be in a situation where the king and a lot of soldiers are chasing you <laughs> and seeking your life month after month, and you have to flee to this part of the wilderness or that part of the wilderness, or uh, Saul's on one side of the mountain, David's on the other side of the mountain, what's he going to do? Um, just, just look at this. 1 Samuel 23, 14, David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Zip, Zip, and Saul sought him every day. Saul's king. Saul has a lot of soldiers under his command. But God did not give him into his hand. So there's God's protection. Um, David is doing what God wants him to do, and, um, and God protects him. Uh, 1 Samuel 25, 32. Now, David came to the, uh, the the land owned by this guy, Nabal, and he was just a, a really ornery guy. David and his men were hungry, and they thirsty, they needed food, drink, and Nabal was absolutely wealthy, and he said, I'm not going to give you anything. Well, David uh, said to his men, uh, strap on your swords, let's go, and he was going to take vengeance on Nabal, and then Abigail, Nabal's wife, comes out 
to meet David with a lot of food and things to drink and everything and calms David down. And then uh, David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. In other words, here he sees God's hand sending someone to keep him from doing wrong, just taking vengeance on some guy. Nabal didn't owe him anything, didn't have to give him food. It would have been nice, he didn't have to. And David, uh, David didn't have the right to uh, uh, take vengeance on him. So, so he realized that and said, Thank you, Lord, for stopping me from doing wrong. In fact, he's more thankful because later he gets to marry Abigail. So that's a, there's a little bonus in this. Um, but uh, here now, when David heard that Nabal was dead, because Nabal, Nabal uh, had a heart attack, and then he was paralyzed, and then he died. And When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. So in other words, God took Nabal's life, but he kept David from doing wrong. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And so here God sees, uh, David sees God's hand in punishing wrongdoing. David was not yet head of the government. David didn't have the right to do that himself, as governments do. And so he, uh, so he thanks God for that. Interesting. Okay. Another one. David says, uh, and this is... Um, uh, David sneaks into Saul's camp, and it's an, an astounding act of bravery, but because of trust in the Lord, here Saul has his bodyguard around him. They're supposed to be standing watch. David sneaks into the camp. There's Saul asleep on the ground, and the other soldier with him says, okay, God's given him into your hand. Kill him, and the kingdom is yours. And David said, no, I'm not going to put forth my hand to touch the Lord's anointed. He knew that Saul was still the king. And it wasn't up to him to assassinate him. And so, uh, so what does David say? As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now take the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So again, carrying out justice, Saul shouldn't have been pursuing David, but, but David uh, was restrained. And he said, look, the Lord's going to take care of him. I don't have to do that. Knowledge of God's will, however, now here's the thing where this doctrine is dangerous if it's misused. And there are many cases in the Bible, there are many doctrines in the Bible where you take a half-truth, and if you make it be the whole truth, it uh, becomes an untruth. That's the kind of thing where you take half of a truth and you don't balance it with the rest of what the Bible says, then you get into trouble. And so I want to be careful here and say that knowledge of God's will does not mean that we should be fatalistic, becoming passive and unfeeling when evil happens. Rather, we should feel sorrow and we should act. See, now, you can get people who say, oh, God, he, 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 uh, all things work according to the counsel of his will, therefore it doesn't matter what I do. And you become fatalistic. And that's wrong. The Bible never encourages us to do that. Oh, all things happen to God. To um, all things happen according to the will of God. Therefore, when tragedy comes to me, I shouldn't be sad. Wrong. When tragedy comes, we feel real sorrow because there is hardship, there is there is sadness, there is sorrow and suffering in the world, and the Bible doesn't cover that up or paper over it. We should feel sorrow and we should act. And how we have another example here from the life of David. David's still fleeing from King Saul. He's gone over in the land of the Philistines to get to escape from Saul for a while. And then, then, and then he, in the course of that, the course of all those events, he had been staying at a city named Ziklag. And he'd gone out with the king, and then he came back, and he came back to Ziklag, and he found that the city in which he had left uh, his wives, he had two wives at the time, and his, and, uh, and his soldiers' uh, wives and their children and their possessions, it had been raided and, um, by the Amalekites. So when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, and they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. <clears throat> so their houses are gone. And they'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went there on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Now, what are they going to do? They're going to say, oh, well, that's God's will. We can't do anything. And just be passive? 
No. Are we going to say, oh, that's God's will, we shouldn't be sad? No. They see evil as evil. They recognize it as evil. And so David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But now here's where this idea of a confidence in God's sovereign will pays off. In the midst of great sadness, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. <clears throat> David, <clears throat> David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He must have sought out a private place. He must have gone, just fallen on the ground and prayed, Lord God, Lord, what has happened? My wives are gone. My, my, my soldiers' wives are gone. Their children are gone. Our flocks and herds are gone. Our houses are burned. Oh, Lord, what can we do? And he cried out to God. He turned to God. And he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What had happened was not pleasing to God. People had committed kidnapping and theft. And, uh, and violence, it wasn't pleasing to God. And God didn't say, oh, well, that's okay. He was greatly distressed. He wept. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then David inquired of the Lord. He said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So now God says, go after these guys. And God says, I'm going to give you victory. So, but, so he chased them, he found them, and they were camped out. <clears throat> they were drinking and they, they were partying, but they hadn't harmed any of the wives or children or the animals. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. So he acted. He wasn't fatalistic or passive. When there was something going wrong, when there was evil going wrong, he sought the Lord, he comforted himself in God, and then his heart was at peace. But then he acted. Okay? A little later, David knew the Lord had established him king over all Israel, and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. 2 Samuel 7, 1, the Lord... The king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies. 2 Samuel 7, 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Have you ever felt that? You look back at your life, you say, Lord, who am I that you've given all this blessing to me? You look back at many, many things that God has done. See, here is I think, a practical application of this doctrine of the will of God to say we can be thankful for all that God has given us. What blessings he's given us. The nation we live in, the church we're able to go to, family and friends that we have, the health and physical strength that we have, many, many other things. Who am I, O oh Lord, God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? So there's, there's a deep sense of thanksgiving to God. Again, more verses. This keeps coming again and again and again through this narrative. David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Who gave victory? The Lord. The Lord gave victory. He sees God's hand in this. And then Joab, David's commander, says to the soldiers, Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Right there in the same verse. Be of good courage, and, and they have to fight. They have to act, but they're acting along with trusting in God. Sometimes people put trusting in God opposed to acting and, and, and taking action. It's not that. We trust in God, and we, we work hard. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the council of Hushai, the archite, is better than the council of Ahithophel. Now, this is Absalom rebelling against David, and the people decide that they will uh, follow bad counsel. 
For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. David prayed that Absalom, his enemies, counselors, would be thrown into confusion. And in fact, they were. And he sees God's hand. The narrative sees God's hand in that. But the Bible never blames God for sins that we commit. So, the Lord gave victory, the Lord gave victory, the Lord did this, the Lord did that. But then what happens when David sins with Bathsheba? It's not the Lord did that. The blame is put on David for the sin. And so we've got a different way of talking about things now. Watch this. Uh, Nathan tells this parable about the man who had flocks and herds and things, and then there was a man who had one little lamb, and, and, the, and, the, and the rich man took, took the little lamb from that guy who had just one, and, and it's a parable, and David says, oh, we'll punish that man. And then Nathan says, you are the man. You took somebody else's wife. And so here's where it's, we start out with that. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. God, God was testing David, I think. With Bathsheba, when he looked out on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba there bathing, I think God is testing him. And God is saying, if you'd passed that test, I would have given you much more. God is going to bless him even more than that. If this were too little, I would have added to you, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So the blame is on David for doing sin. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. God held David accountable for the evil that he had done. And so... A strong belief in the will of God, a strong belief in the sovereignty of God, should never lead us to blame God for evil. Say, God made me do it, or something like that. The blame is on us, and we are to be held accountable. So this, this doctrine of God's will, and sometimes it's called God's sovereignty, this doctrine should give our hearts peace, that God's purposes are going to be accomplished, and he has good for it, should give our hearts peace, but it should never make us passive, and it should never never make us indifferent to sin. Am I making sense here? Is this okay? Summary on God's will. God works all things according to the counsel of His will, and I and I believe that. And when when I when I when I see little events just working out in day-by-day -day things in life, I am thankful to God and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. And this should give us peace. And it should lead our hearts to frequent thanksgiving. And I mean just in the little events of the day, to thanksgiving to God for, for what he's doing and the way he's ordained circumstances and events in our lives. But... Our choices and actions are real, and they do matter. So we should never be passive and just say, oh, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And then, and then whatever is going to happen will happen, but it won't be what would have happened if you had done right. Um, see, sin is real, and it does real damage to people, and God holds people accountable for their sinful choices, as he did David. And pain and sorrow are real, and it's not wrong to feel them deeply, as David and his men wept when they came to the city and it was burned. Jesus even wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Um, and uh, when, when um, Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, was stoned to death, it says devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They had a strong trust in, in God's sovereign will, but sorrow was real, and the sad events of, of, of life were real. And it's right to feel sorrow at those, and I think that's reflecting the heart of God, who is, who is sorrowful as well at the sadness and hardship that comes to his people. It's not wrong to feel them deeply. Still, we view all of this under the umbrella of the sovereign will of our infinitely wise 
and good God, and we can be at peace. This should give us great peace. Okay. Now I'm going to pause there. I have a little bit more on God's freedom um, and God's power, but let me stop there and see if you want to. That's that's kind of my best attempt here at a very, a very difficult and I think deep subject, yet one that has great potential for blessing in our lives. You want to talk about this a little bit? Anything? Comments? Susie? Okay. Praying for knowing God's will and making decisions. Um, I think that um, our primary guide is the Bible. This tells us what's pleasing to God. Now, can we? Is it right to pray for wisdom to understand the Bible? Yes. To understand our situation? Yes. To understand how the Bible applies to our situation. Yes, I think so. And I think we can also imitate David. Um, Look at, David said, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? He said, pursue, you shall surely overtake them. And we see that again and again. David sought the Lord. He sought the Lord's God. I'm reading a little bit later. There is one time where David didn't seek the Lord. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, I think he loses a lot of good judgment. And, um, oh, somebody comes to him and says, so-and-so did something. And and David says, oh, well, then this is what will happen to his property. But he didn't seek out full information. I don't think he sought the Lord. Um, And so I think, I'm not sure that I'm saying this right. Yes, it's right to seek the Lord and, and believe that he'll, as it's this James 1, where if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to everyone generously and without reproaching, and it will be given him. I think that's right to do. I was just praying about a situation with someone I know, just, just yesterday, <clears throat> and, and I didn't know how to respond to this guy. And then I, then I just said, but Lord, you've brought him into my life for a purpose. It, it's someone in our neighborhood. And and I did and, and but so you have a good answer to this, Lord. Help me know. And I still don't know what it is, but I'm seeking. Is that, is that making sense? Um, and for me, when I pray for knowing what God wants me to do, oftentimes it's just as I pray or right after I pray, suddenly I understand. It just it just kind of becomes clear. Not anything really mysterious. It just oh yeah okay thank you Lord that kind of. Thing. Anything else on God's will here? Um, Nancy. A lot of people say when they run into a lot of difficulties, they love God until they don't need something. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Okay, when you run into difficulties, is it God's will you don't do something? Joyce came up to me before this class and said 27 people signed up for manna for eight, but no host. And I said, okay, I'll ask. And so I said, do we have three hosts? And, I, and, and then I said something about, let's not try to make something happen that's not happening. There's a sense to me that I'm free to do that. That is to say, let's give it a try, but I'm not going to push. Do you know sometimes you try to push and push and push, and God just isn't blessing it? <clears throat> the thing that comes to mind is our son Elliot went off to Miami University of Ohio his freshman year, and he had been a journal he had been head editor of his high school newspaper for two years. And and he got to Miami University of Ohio, and the campus newspaper was just way outright liberal. <clears throat> so he and some friends got together and they started a, a, a conservative alternative newspaper. And they printed it up and they were making and it's all these people working on it. And and his freshman year, it was going great. And it was distributed around campus and stuff like that. Summer of his freshman year, he's trying to put together another issue. And all the friends that were helping him backed out. They dropped off. And he was working, working. It was frustrating. Everything he tried to do didn't work. And finally, I said, you know, Elliot, it just doesn't look like God's blessing this. Why don't you just let it go? And he did. Now, it takes discernment to know when is it opposition from the enemy and you should push on, and when is it just 
God's just not blessing it anymore and you should turn away from it. I can't answer that in advance for anybody else. But there sometimes is a sense. And right here, it just seemed to me like, hey, let's be free to not do manna for eight. This, let's not push it. It's just not happening. Okay, fine. It'll come back. It'll come back strong next month. Okay. So, does that help, Nancy? It's, it takes a discernment to know. Um, there's no one answer when there's opposition and hardship. There's a lot of opposition to that campus crusade work in Russia, but it's what God wants them to do. Okay. And I think over time they'll see blessing. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll tell you what. Right here, and then I'll go to the next section. Yeah. 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 Different, sub, different subject of man's will, our will. I'm going to talk about our will in a few minutes. Um, God's given us a will, too, uh, in imitation of him. I'll just say a little bit about it. Okay. Yep. Um, I forget. Lori. Gary Friesen. Decision making in the will of God. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. No, I don't think you should throw it away. Okay. <clears throat> Gary Friesen is a friend of mine. He teaches up at uh, he teaches up in uh, Portland. And he was concerned 20, 25 years ago that people were just, they were doing all these feeling-oriented, they were, oh, I think the Lord's leading, I'm, I'm feeling like I should do this, I feel like, and it was just separate from Scripture, and it was just going off into weird stuff, and <clears throat> he wanted to correct it. So, so he wrote this, just read the Bible and think what it says and apply it to your life. And he took out all the subjective sense of discerning uh, and... Uh, and uh, I think he overcorrected. So I do want to emphasize we obey the Bible, and that's how we're sure. But, oh, so much of my life is, Lord, shall I do this now or not? And I get a sense, no or yes. It's it's very much of a personal relationship, and I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to throw that out just because some people are misusing it. So whenever I see Gary at the ETS meetings, I go up behind him, I bump into him, I say, oh, I just felt led to do that, Gary. I just, <laughs> just joking a little bit with him. Uh, what's your name? Jasper. What? Jasper. Yes? What's your, what's your question? Okay, well, the thing is, in Yeah. All right, all right. All right, EG. Just, uh, you know, I follow this. What the trap I fall into is not going to the Lord with the small stuff. Yeah. The big stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm going to just repeat what E.G. said because I think it's true of all of us. The trap, he said, the trap I fall into is not going to the Lord with the small stuff. And I do think that, um, and it's easy to go to the Lord with the big stuff, you know, a business deal or a house or a car or something. But um, yeah, um, I think that is. And I think God wants to develop in us more and more of a kind of a moment by moment walk with him where we're taking little things to him. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, John? When you were talking about being in England and uh, how the sub wave showed up at the right time and, yeah. and, and, uh, and uh, everything was going well. Yeah. Uh, was I praying for the train? Yeah. Yeah. No, some of it is just committing the day to the Lord and then acting, and then and then through the day just asking for help to find directions and things. And it was just, I mean, one of the Wednesday we took, we rented a car and drove out to this little village because we wanted to see an English village. And Margaret and Holly were shopping, and we got shopping done. We had kind of lunch at a little kind of a 
really 1500s hotel and things like that. And that was really, so then we had to drive back to Cambridge, see, find John Piper and make arrangements about supper for him, find John Delhousay, make arrangements about supper, then go make arrangements to the restaurant, and then get 3.30, get to these other couple's house where we're going to have British tea <coughs> at um, Sir Frederick and Lady Elizabeth Catherwood's house because um, he had been knighted by the queen. So, and they're believers. So, um, so, and we're we're driving 60 miles in these, you know, and these tr twisty, turny roads. We don't know. So, how's it all going to work out? We had to get to their house at 3:30. We pull in at 3:29, and just, and without hurrying or without delaying or just kind of the ordinary, it just all worked out right. And I, and I just kind of smile, and say, "Thank you, Lord." It just works out. And then we got back for supper just at six, and and we were driving away. And uh, we leave these people's house, the Catherwoods, and we're five minutes down the road, and I've allowed enough time to get, and Margaret says, oh, I forgot my purse. So, <laughs> so we turn around, we go back to the Catherwoods' house, and there they are smiling as they found Margaret's purse. We get it, and we come, and we pull into the restaurant where we're going to meet the Pipers at two minutes to six. So, and just, just, you just, I say, thank you, Lord. And so there were just a lot of little things like that. And... Sometimes I'm praying about those things and just quietly, Lord, help us to figure out where to go here. And sometimes it's just, just kind of just ordinary events of the day. Gary? Yeah. Yeah. Daryl and Ed and Rick leaving. How do I deal with that? Um, that I, I think that they are godly men who sought the Lord's will. And I think that it will result in good for Daryl, good for Ed, good for Rick, and good for Scottsdale Bible Church. <laughs> because I was in the middle of that on the elder board, and I don't see any disobedience, any, any disobedience in those actions. Those were actions that were carefully considered over a period of time. And I think God has good in this for the church. And we're eating with John Piper, and I say, John, you know anybody who could be pastor for Scottsdale Bible Church? I say, no, I can't think of anybody right now. And I said, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful church. There are no major problems in the church. There are, there are little problems. I mean, where do you find the coffee cups and all that? But there are no major problems. You know, that's just, you know, there, there are no significant, this just, it's a time we're just waiting for more blessing from the Lord, I think. And as long as we don't stray and disobey him, I'm, I'm just trusting that he'll do good for the church. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I look. I, mean, I do this with world events. I'm concerned about world events. I think there's evil out there in the world, and I treat it as evil. I pray against it. Pray the. I know ultimately the Lord's going to triumph over it. But in the meantime, I hope He triumphs over it more quickly. And but I don't know. See, but but then my heart. So I'm I'm concerned about it. I pray about it. But then my heart is at peace. All right. Oh, one more. What's your name? I forgot your name. Went back. Joyce. <laughs> yep, okay. Joyce has an idea about maybe having it on a Friday night. I'm going to tell Joyce Martindale, and you can tell Wanda to think about that. But for right now, I had to make a judgment call. And in those cases, I think oftentimes when God puts you in a leadership position, he gives you wisdom to make the right decision. And in this case, I have decided no in, in the future. Think about that. Okay. Joyce has heard it, and she'll think about it. Okay. God's will. I think this is a wonderful doctrine. I really do. It just it gives my heart peace. And I think it's just excellent. Now we're going to do a little bit more in terms of distinctions in aspects of God's will. Sometimes people say, hey, you know, this big subject of God's will, we can look at in a little bit more detail. We can talk about first God's necessary will and his free will. God's necessary will includes everything that he must will according to his own nature. What would that be? What must God, God will? Well, he must will himself, his own existence and his own character. God said to Moses, I am who I am. In his own character is the determination of who he is. I am who I am. He can't not exist. He can't will to be different than himself. He has to will that. God's free will, however, includes all things that God decided to will but did not have to will according to his nature. And this includes 
creation and redemption. This is really important, um, just kind of as an anchor thing in your brain, to remember God didn't have to create, and he didn't have to save anybody. That was his free choice. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You look at this amazing world that we live in. You just think about the mountains and the, uh, and the oceans. And God didn't have to create any of that, the incredible complexity of it. It's by his will that things existed. And it looks to me like Genesis 1.26 is deciding to do things. Here, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It looks like uh, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a conversation. They say, let us do this. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And redemption. He redeems us for his own sake. He didn't have to re didn't redeem any angels, so he didn't have to redeem us. But he says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it to you. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So it would be wrong for us to try to find a necessary cause for creation in the being of God himself. Sometimes people, philosophers go and they reason like this. And they say, well, doesn't God always do what is best? Yes. Well, then, what did he do? He created and he saved some people. Yes. Therefore, that was the best thing to do. Yes. Therefore, God had to do it. And that's where I stop and I say, no, I don't think God had to create and I don't think he had to redeem. If God had to create us or save us, it, 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 this would be as if God had to create or save us in order to truly be God. This would rob God of his independence. It would say that without us, God could not truly be God. So I think we have to keep at this anchor point, God's decisions to create and redeem were totally free decisions. God did not have to create and he did not have to redeem. In fact, what then has been kind of a common saying in theology is that all of God's works outside himself, or in Latin, his opera ad extra, his works to the outside, all of those are completely free. I don't know if that means a lot to you or not. It means that you didn't have, God didn't have to create you. He chose to. Okay. Now there's another distinction. With this, we'll close. Oh, I've only got two minutes left. Whew. Well, let's see. Um, hmm. No, not 21. No, I've got, I've got I, that clock's a little fast. God's secret will and God's revealed will. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Here, here is something very helpful. And it says, some things God's kept to himself and he hasn't told us. Like, what's going to happen in this Israel-Lebanon conflict tomorrow? And the next day, we don't know. Okay? But the things that are revealed, and mainly that's his word, that's ours, that we may do, do these, obey them. So God's secret will includes his hidden decrees by which he governs the universe and determines everything that will happen. And here we can say, if the Lord wills, we'll go, we'll live, and we'll go to this city, and we'll do this or that. That's God's secret will. We don't know. Or, or Joseph, it's very interesting. They, they, they took him, they, they stole his coat of many colors, they threw him into a pit, they took him up and sold him into slavery, and then... He went, into, he went into Egypt and he rose up to be second in command over the kingdom. And he looks back on it after many years and he says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. And so he's seeing there's a difference between God's secret will and his revealed will. God's revealed will was don't, don't steal Joseph's coat, don't sell him into slavery, don't, don't uh, threaten murder against him. Don't hate him. Don't be jealous of him. They meant evil. It was evil. That wasn't according to God's revealed will. But God's secret will was to use their evil deeds for good. Isn't that interesting? This is a difference, secret will and revealed will. Paul says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. That's his secret will. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. God's secret will. He has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. That's his secret will. But God's secret will is hidden from us. I'm going to go quickly on this. I think I'll, stop, I'll pick up with this at the beginning next time. It's hidden from us, and it shouldn't be the basis for our decision-making, unless he reveals to us what he's going to do, sometimes prophets. But God's revealed will, here's what I want to say, that's what we should focus on. And that 
is his will of command. It declares what we should do or what command God commands us to do. Is this going too fast? Okay, I'll skip over that again. I said, so God's revealed will tells us what kind of things we should pray for. How do I know what I should pray for? Well, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that people be honest. Pray that they tell the truth. Get they that they be faithful in their marriages. Pray that they come to know Christ. That's his revealed will. Uh, if we ask anything according to his will, he knows he, we know he hears us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's how we should pray according to God's revealed will. Now, here's the question. If we're to pray, we can't know God's secret will. We don't know the future. Well, but wait a minute. How do we know God's revealed will? I want to know God's revealed will. How can I figure that out? You should be thinking of the answer right now. Read the Bible. <laughs> That's given to us to show us what God commands and to show what pleases him. Final point. Every attribute of God I've talked about, we should imitate. God is love. We should be loved. God is merciful. We should be merciful. God is wise. We should be wise. How do we imitate God's attribute of will? Well, God has made us as creatures with a will. We exercise choice and we make real decisions and these decisions do matter. And so this ability to have a will and to make decisions, this is a wonderful, amazing part of our creation in the image of God. Plants and at least lower animals don't have that and higher animals don't have it the way we do. It's an amazing part of our creation in the image of God. It's, I, I was going to sing this, Be Still My Soul, but I think we're out of time. I think I'm just going to pray, and we'll be done. Oh, Lord God, thank you that you are the great and sovereign and all-wise God, that your kingdom rules over all, that your purposes will stand. You will accomplish all your good purpose. You know the end from the beginning. And, Lord, we then can be at peace regarding even difficult and troubling situations, that your purposes are good and that you work all things according, you work all things for good uh, for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to will and choose and make decisions. We pray that you would help us to do that wisely and to do it in, in relationship to you and in fellowship with you. We do pray, Lord, for a just and righteous resolution of the conflicts in the Middle East and that evil would be stopped uh, and that uh, good governments would reign there and that your gospel would spread and people would come to know you and then live in obedience to you. We pray for Scottsdale Bible Church and ask that you would guide, Lord, in the search for a new pastor and bring us one who would really strengthen us and build up the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.